Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour on the topic of skill sets of new veterinarians, what are practices looking for? With Dr. Debbie Spike Pierce, DVM MBA, who's the president and CEO of Rudin Riddle Equine Hospital, and Amy Grice, BMD MBA, who practiced for more than 20 years before starting veterinary business consulting, through which she advises veterinarians and practice owners on a wide variety of projects and challenges. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement, and my co-host today is Dwayne Chapel, BVM, an equine professional veterinary services team member at Merck Animal Health. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2021 by Merck Animal Health. So we're going to jump right in today, and we know this is an important topic, and COVID has made it even more critical. So Dr. Spike Pierce, how does our veterinary school education prepare a new equine vet for initial practice, and where do you think it might be deficient at this stage? Well, I think that that's, it, it varies probably from school, but overall, the knowledge base that these young veterinarians have when they graduate is tremendous. And I think that is what we should expect of the schools. I don't think some schools don't have as much practical experience, but that's okay. Um, you know, that's really, I think, more of our job is to help these new grads become proficient in what they've been taught. And, you know, they're not going to be able to do every procedure when they're in school. And it may take them a few years, even when they get out of school to do things. So I don't, I don't necessarily think they're deficient. Um, it's just they haven't practiced yet. And that's what practice is about. So there's, I mean, there's a few other things as well, but Amy will um, probably touch on, on some of those, like as far as the business side of veterinary medicine. You know, I, I don't, I, I want our students to learn veterinary medicine. because I think that's pretty crucial coming out. And Dr. Grice, um, how do you think veterinary schools are doing in preparing new equine veterinarians for their initial practice? I think one of the hard things in veterinary school right now is that equine-oriented students are such a small percentage. And the animals, the horses that come into the veterinary hospitals are of um, pretty high value. And uh, oftentimes there's a, a just sort of a line of people that need to, there's residents that are being trained and there's perhaps interns that are being trained. And so the students themselves rarely get any hands-on experience with uh, uh, patients in, at many veterinary schools. And um, if we look back to the 2016 um, AVMA AAEP survey where we asked respondents about what entry-level skills they expected of a new associate, um, you know, the things that they expected, 90% um, expected um, students coming out to be able to diagnose and treat foot abscesses and examine and repair simple lacerations and over 80% um, diagnose uncomplicated lameness using diagnostic nerve blocks, be able to take diagnostic radiographs of all the limbs, um, place a subpalpebral lavage system, things like this. Work up and treat a simple colic case in the field. And so these are the things that people are expecting when they hire a new graduate. 
And unfortunately, most of those things students don't see in veterinary school. Uh, so they have to make such a concerted effort of getting those experiences outside of veterinary school in order to be uh, ready to practice. And so I, I think that is a weakness in the system right now. Dr. Grice, would you share with us your thoughts about the values found in an internship as compared to launching into practice right out of graduation? I happen to have the opinion that internships for equine practitioners can be extremely valuable. Not all of them are, but if you have a good internship, an excellent internship, I think that it can make a huge difference by allowing a new graduate to experience uh, learning procedures, common procedures, even less common procedures, um, under the tutelage of experienced people and often not being observed by the client if the internship is occurring in a, a hospital or clinic setting, oftentimes um, those new graduates can do repeatedly do things and be uh, very closely um, helped in doing those procedures uh, by a very experienced practitioner not being watched because being watched makes them very nervous. Um, and at the end of that, if there's if it's an excellent internship is going to have uh, radiology rounds, journal club, all these different opportunities um, to to have multiple opinions about cases. And then they also are are able to form these very strong mentoring relationships that are often are lifelong. So I'm a real internship fan of the great internships, not the ones that treat them like a cheap technician. Dr. Spike Pierce, a similar question, and Dr. Grice, thank you for your response. Uh, your thoughts about internships versus starting into practice. And do you think a, a new grad at this stage in our education process could go into practice if they uh, were not able to participate in an internship? So kind of a two part question to you. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Amy said. I mean, there are fantastic internships out there and it gives you the opportunity to be underneath someone and see them do a lot of procedures and have them help you learn that. But I also think that that can also be developed in private practice where you're not necessarily doing an inter, it's not an internship position, maybe it is a new associate position, but I still think having that tutelage that you know is expected in an internship can still happen if you're not doing the quote unquote internship. Like I went, um, I went straight into private practice after graduation, um, but it was with my father. And I have to say, I had a tremendous amount of mentorship and it takes clients a while to get comfortable with someone new. But I think that's either if you're doing an internship or not. And even if you're doing an internship in the field, if you're at a farm every day looking at horses, people get comfortable with you and they know once you have the confidence of your 
quote unquote, mentor, senior clinician, however you'd want to refer them, they're going to have confidence in you. And actually, I think that the young veterinarian, I mean, that's how they get confidence is really not questioning themselves. And if you've seen a lot and done a lot, then you're much less likely to really question what you're doing and you'll be more confident, which just is more a more comfortable way to practice. Now, do I think that a new grad wants to go hang, just hang up a shingle and not have that mentorship? I wouldn't recommend it, but there are cases that people could. If they grew up with a veterinarian and or worked for a veterinarian their entire life, they probably could do that and be successful. But I bet they would still call that veterinarian that they worked with for that mentorship, because that is just what's so important that they don't have when they come out of school for the most part. Great. So, Thank I you very much. Dr. Grice, you mentioned how, uh, a great internship. How would a new grad identify a, a great internship opportunity versus one that maybe is not gonna be as uh, impactful to them and could even be detrimental to their career ahead of them. I think it's really important that people um, go and do externships at the practices where they're considering internship. And I think also having uh, a good uh, sort of vision of what you want your career to look like. Where are you going and, and what type of practice do you want to practice at? Because if you want to do ambulatory general practice, then your internship should probably be at a practice that does a lot of that. Not that it couldn't have a, a Holland facility or even a, a surgical setting, uh, but it should have a very strong component of general practice. Um, I think it's also really, really important to talk to former interns um, and also see what those former interns are now doing. Are they now in small animal practice or are they have they gone successfully into equine practice? Um, I would also encourage people to um, seek out an internship that has been in place for a little bit of time so that uh, systems are in place to make that um, sort of a, a more uh, structured uh, educational experience. I feel incredibly strongly that uh, an internship needs to be a mutually beneficial uh, relationship where the intern is giving up potential salary, they're giving up time, and they're giving their a lot of effort. And in return, they should be receiving a lot of education. If they want to learn how to ultrasound to stifle, they should be able to say, hey, I'd like to, you know, can we take a free afternoon this winter? I'll bring in, maybe we can bring in a horse and you'll teach me how to make sure I can ultrasound and, and do this. They should have that opportunity to learn what they want to learn because they're giving up a lot to be there. So I feel very strongly about the mutually beneficial thing. I did not do an internship. I went right into practice. Um, and, uh, you know, I had mentors. I had people I could call. Had I ever seen wolf teeth removed? No, never seen it, never done it. I, you know, 
you're out there. You have to figure out how to do this stuff. Never seen a case of cellulitis. All these common things that are, um, you know, clients sometimes were more familiar with them than I was. Um, and that's not the way it should be. So um, that's, they ex have certain expectations that those simple, common, regularly seen things, you should know about them. Great. Dr. Spike Pierce, how do you think the, the skill set development process and in, as you both indicated, internships have great value. How do you think that process of developing those skills can impact them going into equine practice over the next five years? Because it seems as though when we hit that five-year mark is where a lot of decisions are made, whether they're going to stay in practice or not. So how, how can this process of developing their skills maybe solidify their interest to stay in practice long-term? Well, I think that the more you do and the more confident that you are just in practice as a whole, the more you want to stay in it. Because if you do something that you love and you do it enough that you become really good at it, you're very happy. But there's other life things in there, too, that have to you know move along with it. So I wouldn't say that it's all just the skill set that's going to keep people in practice, but I do think it's a really big part because they need to be confident. I, I use that word a lot, but I, I see it, you know, in, in younger or newer veterinarians that in until they really feel that um, the client respects their opinion and listens to them and wants to know their opinion that's when they really start to feel like, okay, I've got this, you know, and then they really thrive um, in that environment. But, but there are other things as well, which I'm sure we'll talk about that have to go hand in hand with it. Great. Dr. Grice, what do you think the role of equine veterinary practices is in developing a sustainable positive environment to encourage a successful practice career in equine medicine? Well, you know, that's a great question because what Deb was just saying about the other life things that happen, um, I think that at that five-year mark, what we're seeing is not so much uh, related to the skills that people acquire. I think it, it, it is almost completely related to the time of life that many of these new graduates are in, just from uh, especially with so many of them being female, just from an age standpoint, if you go through a typical, uh, go to college at the typical age and then go on to vet school, you're coming out as a woman right in your biologically, you know, this is the time to have kids, right? Or you're going to run out of time. And so at about that, you know, three to five year mark, many of these young women are starting to have families and this is normal. And it's, they shouldn't have to not have families to be an equine veterinarian, but they run headlong into the parts of equine practice that make having a young family incredibly difficult. And it is very hard for them to hang on to what they love hang on to what their dream was for all of these years 
and be able to work the long hours, the emergency on-call duty that's expected, and um, the lower salaries. I think that that's why uh, we're we're losing people from the career because, you know, face it, we're all kind of type A perfectionists, want to do our very best at everything we do. And when you can't excel in anything you're doing, you can't excel as a veterinarian, you can't excel as a parent, you can't excel as a wife or a, or a spouse, um, that starts to feel pretty crappy. Um, so I, I really, I believe that that is, is, um, is what's happening with, with our young veterinarians. They wanna be equine practitioners, they just can't make it happen. Today's Disease to Shore podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, the makers of prestige vaccines, Banamine, Panicure, Regimate, Protozil, and other trusted equine health solutions. Merck Animal Health works for you and for horses. Learn more about Merck Animal Health's comprehensive portfolio of products, as well as their ongoing investment in our industry, profession, and community at MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com. Dr. Spike Pierce, in response to what was just said is, are there things you could share with the audience that maybe your practice does or you know of practices that would enhance this environment to give sustenance to the equine, young equine practitioner? Yes, there's, there's a lot of things that, that we do. I, you know, I said before, just making sure that they are in that phase of their practice where they know exactly what they're doing and they can really thrive in practice. And I think that's very important, but also the on-call is a huge issue. And, you know, I think us, my, our practice in particular, we're fortunate because we have a lot of people in the practice. And so we're able to spread that on-call around, but I think there's a lot of different, um, practices out there that are learning to share call, learning to, you know, spread this around and then go back to their veterinarian during the day. I think that's very important. Um, also debt load, you know, debt loads extremely difficult right now for people because if you have it, you typically have a lot of it. And, you know, our practice currently does not repay student loans, but you know, who, who knows in the future? I think the biggest thing is making sure that they're fairly compensated, you know, making sure that they can make a decent living and doing this and that they can increase what they're making and show them, you know, what you're, what they're doing, really explain to them the business side of it and how can they achieve more if they want to in, in that um, avenue. And then also for us, I think we have a um, a really clear path to partnership, to ownership of practices. And I think that's really important. You know, I don't, I think when you have these new graduates, you need to give them something to strive for and let them be a part of it and, and let them be in on the, the profitability that is out there. And I think that's a way to really um, keep and entice younger veterinarians is to say, hey, this is what's available five years from now, per se. So I think if you can keep all of those things 
in line, as well as I should speak up for family. Um, you know, I think that's something that you really need to um, vet your practice and make sure that they, you know, if there's no kids, if no one in the practice has children and you want to have children, might not be the best place for you. But search those places out because I think that's really important. And if people have kids of their own, they're, they're supportive. I, you know, I went on calls with my dad. I took my girls on calls with me. And I'm sure, Amy, you did the same with your kids. And veteran, equine veterinary med medicine, to me, is very much a family thing. You know, I mean, it's usually kids that are into their horses or young girls that are into their horses and why they want to do this in, in the end. So we absolutely need to be supportive because they're the ones that need to be having kids, these people that are going into veterinary medicine and, and then hopefully it continues on. But we do have, as a practice, I mean, we, we do have this role that we need to step up and make sure that is sustainable that they can continue and thrive. Great. I, I appreciate each of you's transparency. I'm gonna pass the ball back to Kim. I think she's got a few more questions for you. Yeah, I wanna start delving a little bit on soft skills. I mean, uh, Dr. Spike Pierce, she mentioned this a little earlier and Dr. Bryce and I have talked about this a lot. What do young veterinarians need to come out of vet school and learn either from vet school or from their initial practice on these soft skills, interacting with clients and ethical challenges, negotiating contracts, the business side of practice. Dr. Spike Pierce, what do you think? Well, this is where I think an internship or uh, a, a true mentor um, in whatever practice that you go into is so important. Um, for me, it was Dr. Bramlage was a huge mentor for me. Um, and I would just listen to him talk to clients on the phone. And I would always be in awe of how he could make something so complicated sound so simple and the clients understood it. So that was always my goal is trying to just relay things in just a layman's term, but still have your veterinary um, lingo in there, but not in a way that it makes them feel uncomfortable. And that is truly a skill. And I think you really have to listen to a lot of people do that. Other things that I've learned from mentors, actually, this was from my husband of all people. Um, you know, when somebody asks a question, he's like, if you don't know the answer or you don't have time, ask them another question. Like when somebody asks you, what should I feed my horse? It's like, well, what are you feeding it now? You know, just things to get, get you a little bit of time, but also maybe help you with your answer is to, to do those things, ask questions. Um, and as far as, as you said, ethical considerations, I think um, I always go back to my dad because he worked the racetrack and he would always say, he's like, Deb, if they stop using you, that's okay. Because oftentimes it's because they wanted you to do something that they knew you weren't gonna do. And, and that's okay. And I, I think you can't, I think young veterinarians sometimes feel like they need to do something um, that they've been asked. And I was fortunate enough that I had my dad to kind of look over me and nobody was gonna ask me to do anything, but you have to, you know, it's true today though too. And so that's where I think that internship mentorship really comes into play on, on all those soft skills and 
I'll let Amy handle the business part because she's really good at that. Okay, and Dr. Grice, what do you have to say? I know this is a big point with you uh, working with young veterinarians. So what about these soft skills? I think the soft skills are amazingly important. Um, clients have no way really to judge your technical expertise. They can watch you work and they don't know if you're technically um, you know, at the top of the food chain or not, but they do know how you make them feel. Um, they do know if they trust you. And that often comes from your communication style and your ability to um, you know, make them feel cared for um, and like you really are understanding their concerns. Um, this is fortunately something that people can learn. It's not, some people are innately better than others, but we all know veterinarians who are just fabulous communicators and they're technically uh, not all that great, but they are so incredibly successful because their clients know that they care, feel understood, and ha they have this trusting bond. Um, and so the communication piece is huge. And so I think that uh, Deb is absolutely right that um, listening to somebody who communicates really, really well and also role playing um, can help you tremendously in learning how to do that. When speaking with clients, a lot of new graduates are still feeling like they're in morning rounds and they want to quickly talk very quickly and tell them everything they know about a possible condition um, to, to like, you know, pass the test when actually they should be just trying to, to in a simple way, explain what they think's going on and offer some, a sort of a cornucopia of solutions that are at a different level of uh, cost and uh, complexity. Um, but as far as learning business, when you're when you're thinking about soft skills, when people uh, are leaving vet school and going out into the world, one of the really important things is for them to understand what their values are so that they can make sure that they choose a practice that shares their values. Because typically, if someone takes an associate position, and they feel like they just don't fit in or they're running up against these ethical issues or these um, times when they feel very uncomfortable, typically what's happening is the practice's values are not in alignment with theirs and they're never going to fit there. And so if you know that from the get-go, you can choose a practice that has your values. You can actually interview a practice and say, what would you say are the top three values that this practice has? And new graduates right now, there are so many positions and not too many applicants. So it's really all about the applicants interviewing the practices to find the best fit. It's also fabulous if you understand business um, just biz business basics, understanding how revenue has nothing to do with um, how much a practice is worth. It matters a lot, but it really is, how is that practice running? How much profit is there? Are expenses out 
sort of outrunning the revenue? Um, is there good cash flow? Um, so just having some of those basics uh, in your pocket when you start your career will make everything more, um, I don't know, it'll just make more sense to you. So when you're looking for your internship, you're not only looking for someone to help you clinically practice better, but you're looking for someone to help you develop your client skills and your business skills. Absolutely. Who's not afraid to explain to you why they're making certain decisions or why something matters? Okay. And let's uh, let's close here and we'll start with uh, Dr. Spike Pierce. What sort of encouragement can you give to those young veterinary students who are in school? They really want to do equine practice, but maybe they're a little concerned with all the negative things they've heard about low salaries or women in practice or, you know, not having the right skill sets or, I mean, what can you offer an encouragement to say equine practice wants you? Well, we do. <laughs> I think that's the biggest thing, but it's, you know, this equine practice has been just incredible for me and it has given me so many opportunities. I think that you have to be able to really see that. But again, I think it's spending time with people so that you realize it because it is a tremendous job to be able to work with horses every day. I, you know, I can't explain that except for if you love horses, you know what I'm talking about. And it is just an incredible career. And honestly, like look at Amy and I, we're doing different things now. I don't work on horses every day. I get the fill of my horses. I was in practice about the same as Amy, 25 years. And, and now I'm more on the business side of it. But, but there are other opportunities, but I don't think that, um, that if you love horses and you wanna be a veterinarian, I can't think of a more perfect combination than being an equine veterinarian. And it, it pays you back, the horses that you work on, that you're successful with, that, um, and the clients and relationships that you build, they are gonna keep you going. And there was never a day when I was in practice that I didn't love going to work every day. And Dr. Grice, what would your encouraging remarks be to someone who wants to go to equine practice, but is maybe having a few doubts? I would echo some of what Debbie said that if if you love horses and your dream has always been to be a horse doctor, um, there's nothing better than than being able to, for me, I was an ambulatory practitioner, to drive around to beautiful farms on a beautiful day in a beautiful scenery um, and and spend my my days doing that. I mean, Fabulous, and some of the winds that you have just fill you up. Um, I will say that with the financial uh, challenges that new graduates have these days with educational debt, that um, I would encourage all equine veterinarians to become owners as soon as they possibly can. And if you join a practice and they have promised you an opportunity to be a partner or an owner, and that 
possibility that was held out to you at the time that you were hired keeps the can keeps getting kicked down the road don't wait around for 10 years waiting for that to happen um, you need to have a piece of uh, being able to uh, set the course for the practice to help with the managing of the practice and chart your own course that way because having some choice having control are both things that prevent burnout and when you feel like a cog in the wheel that just keeps pulling the wagon and you're exhausted and the wagon keeps getting heavier that's really bad for your physical and mental health when you are deciding where the wagon is going it makes it a whole lot easier as well as more financially rewarding well, this has been a wonderful conversation today. And I think you've been very honest in things that young veterinarians should be looking for and looking out for. So we want to thank you very much for joining us uh, to talk about this topic today. And we wanna to thank to our listeners for joining us and our special thanks to our 2021 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Please listen and rate previous and future episodes of Disease Du Jour on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Make sure you take our surveys so we know how to better serve you with this podcast. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can send me an email to kbrown at aimmedia.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.